California is being swallowed into the Pacific Ocean, and it is really hard to stop or even slow down that process. With sea levels that are rising at an increasingly alarming rate, 800 miles of sheer beach cliffs along the California coastline are eroding at rates as much as 5 to 10 feet per year. From houses to highways to important infrastructure, there is a lot at stake on the edge of California. So what are we doing about it? Well, today, I'm going to bring you a boots-on-the-ground story of how we are trying to protect our coast from erosion and the difficulty in doing so. Before I go any further, I do want to mention that I am not going to really talk about rock climbing in this episode. As I discussed in my last Rock Behind the Climb episode on Mickey's Beach, this issue is affecting some of our crags, but today... I ask that you indulge me a bit, because I think my small-scale story of trying to protect just one guy's house from collapsing into the ocean will give you some perspective on the massive issue that is trying to mitigate coastal erosion. So stay with me. So the project that I'm working on is for a single-story home built right on the edge of a beach cliff. About 15 years ago, the homeowner constructed a shotcrete-based seawall embedded into the existing bedrock to prevent erosion of the cliff and subsequently his house from collapsing into the ocean. About a year ago, though, my geotechnical engineering and geology consulting firm got a call that a huge cave had formed underneath the previously constructed seawall. Basically, the rock that the original seawall was constructed on top of was more erosive than the concrete wall above. So the ocean continued to carve into the rock underneath, burrowing a 4-foot high, 80-foot wide, and 26-foot deep sea cave underneath this guy's house. If we had let this cave get too much deeper... It could have seriously once again endangered the house from collapsing into the ocean. The first order of business here was to fill the cave with high-pressure shotcrete or concrete that you can spray out of a hose. A couple months after the cave was infilled with shotcrete, our client secured the permit to begin working on the construction of a new seawall that we designed to protect from further undercutting. This is where I came into the project. As an engineer out in the field, my primary role on a project like this is to ensure that our design is being constructed correctly. In an ever-changing, evolving environment like this one, I am the guy on the ground to point out anything that doesn't make sense in the design in a constructability sense, and help make changes if necessary. In my line of work, there are a lot of assumptions made when designing structures in an ever-changing environment with variability within the construction contractor and high stakes. So they tend to send someone with engineering or geological knowledge to do the inspections because the directives are never simple. So that's what brought me out to this project. But... Before I get any further, I want to take a step back and talk about why the California coast is eroding so quickly. 
and traditional ways in which people try to protect the coastal bluffs. So, a lot of the coastal bluffs are made up of marine terrace deposits. These are rocks that are comprised of sands and clays originally deposited by the ocean, and now make up the weak sedimentary rock near the shoreline. Through millions of years of tectonic action, these marine terrace deposits have been uplifted to form the coastal mountain ranges along the California coast. However, this doesn't explain why the cliffs are so sheer. This comes because of wave action from the ocean. Waves constantly bombard these weak sedimentary beach cliff rock formations at the bottom, eventually causing the entire cliff to shear off. As sea levels have risen and fell over millions of years, they've created multiple levels of sheared beach cliffs, separated by nearly flat platforms that are a result of the ocean spreading out the collapsed material to make a terrace, hence marine terrace deposit. All of this is to say that we have constructed a lot on top of the flat, weak terrace deposits that are now being reconsumed by the ocean. So how do we protect the communities and infrastructure that we have resting on these unstable beach cliffs? Well, one idea is to get out in front of the ocean. The primary cause for the eroding cliffs is giant waves crashing into them. So why don't we just take the waves and put them somewhere else? So we've actually tried this. There are structures called jetties and breakwaters, which are these barriers made out of giant rocks or chunks of concrete that extend out off the coast into the ocean, out to hopefully curb the wave action coming in. You see these a lot near harbors. Anyway, there are a number of major problems with these structures, including problems with surrounding ecology, but they can also actually have a pretty negative effect on coastal erosion. These structures do a good job of redirecting some waves from pounding the coastal area you want to protect, but they can also trap sand from being able to land on shore. Now, I know what you might be thinking right now. I hate sand. It's coarse, rough, and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> However, the reality is that sand is actually really great for protecting our coastlines. A built-up sandbar can act as a buffer to block waves from running up against the cliff or at least slowing them down. So these breakwaters and jetties can actually do more harm than good in terms of preserving the cliffs because they trap the sand from landing on the beach. Piggybacking off of this discussion, Another solution that has been used is to literally pump more sand onto the coastline in a process called dredging. This process is actually very costly, though, to pump enough sand in place. But it's helpful in that it maintains the coast in a more natural way than building structures. In my opinion, one of the most effective ways to protect a sea cliff in general is to build a riprap buttress. This is basically a pile of giant, super heavy rocks that get piled up next to a sea cliff to protect it from getting pounded by waves. These are actually really effective in protecting the sea cliff, but they can actually redirect waves to be more forceful on the sea cliffs adjacent to where they are placed. 
Also, they look like crap and, in many cases, decimate any hope of having a functional beach that can be used by the public. That brings me back to the project I am currently working on, a concrete-based seawall. Concrete seawalls are exactly as they sound, vertical walls that stand between the sea cliff and the ocean. In many cases, including the project that I'm working on, this is paired with a shotcrete finish, meaning that the weak, friable rock is sprayed with concrete to create a facade that holds everything together and still kind of looks like the cliff face. On top of that, these cliffs are anchored by a series of soil nails or tieback anchors, typically, which are huge strands of steel that are drilled into the cliffside and tensioned to hold it in place and protect it against slope failure. All of this was in place in 2005 when our client's original wall was constructed, and it worked. Actually, pretty well. However, as I discussed in the beginning of this episode, the ocean, not to be outdone, actually burrowed a cave underneath the seawall with the constant swell forces. The rock that the old seawall is founded upon is weaker than the concrete wall, so the ocean still found a way to eat at the cliffside. However, that old wall still remains, hanging over where the rock used to be. The last bit of background you need to understand going into this project has to do with the California Coastal Commission, which is a California state regulatory commission that regulates the land use on or near the California coast and oversees any development near the shoreline. This is great in theory as it helps protect the coastline and ocean for the general public. However, it also makes it so there are a lot of hoops you need to jump through to get and maintain a permit to do construction like this. As I go forward with this story, you'll see what I mean. Okay, now let's get back to about a month and a half ago when I was first brought out onto the project. Our clients had just secured a two-month-long emergency permit to go forward with the new seawall portion of the project. Without a ton of forethought or planning, the construction contractor was sent out there to build this thing. After all, they just had to dig a four-foot-deep trench, put in some steel, and spray it down with shotcrete. Boom! Easy, right? Eager and ready after a long car ride down to the project site, which I'm not allowed to tell you the exact location of, I was immediately turned around. The tide was way too high. In a project where you are trying to prevent the effects of ocean slamming against the area where you are building, it is likely that the work area is going to be flooded with tidal water sometimes. And... Regardless of whether you think we should have just thrown on our wetsuits and got going, never mind how dangerous and polluting it is to operate heavy machinery in the ocean like that, it is against our permit to work when there are still tidal waters present in the work area. There are very few times when the tide is low enough for us to get out there and work, so the solution became to try to place temporary barriers seaward of the cliff to try and extend the time that they could actually get work done in those short windows when the tide is receded enough to work. Without the barriers, they only have roughly three hours of time per session, but with the barriers, they were looking to extend that by at least a few hours. However, 
the idea to place temporary barriers utterly failed. Their first temporary barrier were these giant six-foot-tall bags filled with sand and rocks that they would drag out every single day. At the beginning of the day, they would carry them out via crane and bobcat loader and every day take them back to the staging area on top of the cliff. This process of carrying out the giant bags of sand and rocks out and back took so long that it actually afforded the contractor like next to no time to actually work. So after that, they decided that they would try putting giant blocks of concrete out on the beach plain and leaving them there in place overnight so that they wouldn't have to waste so much time moving these barriers. Well, even though these were multi-ton giant blocks of solid concrete, they were no match for the high tides and large swells and were nearly thrown into the side of the cliff after just one night. They were then promptly removed. It was also during this time of experimenting with the failed temporary barriers that the contractor also realized that their initial plan for digging the four-foot-deep ditch called the Keyway was not going to work because of a few details that proved to be quite problematic. First, by nature of the permit, the new wall cannot extend outboard of the original 2005 alignment meaning that the wall cannot be constructed in front of where the old one overhangs the cave that formed. Also, by nature of the permit, anything that the contractor chipped, whether it be old concrete or the underlying rock, has to be off-hauled from the beach into a dumpster on the road slash staging area. They initially planned on using a mechanical excavator to chip away the old overhanging shotcrete wall and then use a different attachment on the same excavator to dig the keyway. This proved to be ineffectual because it takes a really long time to chip and off-haul the large amount of overhanging shotcrete needed to clear an area large enough for us to work. And there was about half the length of the wall that couldn't even be accessed by the excavator because it cannot track over this one section of beach area that is mainly just rock, no sand. I'm not sure if any of that made sense to you, but in effect, we were one month into our two-month permit and had barely even broken ground. Around this time, we had a particularly excruciating daily project meeting. These meetings had transformed from simple daily check-ins to two-plus-hour tirades with a lot of yelling and finger-pointing. Anyway, I remember they were discussing another option for temporary protection from the tidal waters when I brought up that regardless of whether or not they fart around with another shoring system that probably won't work, and mind you, doesn't actually do anything to construct the wall... They do have time to at least get some stuff done with a bunch of guys with jackhammers and rock drills. Honestly, it's not really my place to comment on the means and methods in which this project gets done. But whatever. Things were getting ridiculous. Luckily, my point was taken well. So me and the now third site supervisor from the contractor, 
devised a plan of attack where some workers would go ahead and pre-drill some pilot holes with rock drills to release the confinement in the rock. And then guys with jackhammers would come through and chip around those pilot holes to excavate the rest of the trench. We called this method the Swiss cheese method because the pre-drilling made the excavation area look like a block of Swiss cheese, kinda. Anyway, this worked actually pretty well, and soon enough, we were making progress, especially as they continually sent more and more workers to aid with the operation. However, it may have been too little too late, because the reality is that we were only actually able to work for about three hours a day maximum. In fact, there have been entire weeks where the tide is too high to be able to work at all. On top of all of that, before we could continue to excavate downwards, each day had to be started with shoveling out all of the sand and rocks that collected in the keyway each night. So, even with the revolutionary Swiss cheese method, progress had been slow. And that's not all. There are still battles over the constructability of the wall during our limited permit window. As of right now, we have a few sections of the wall mostly trenched to depth. No steel has been placed and no concrete has been shot, with our current permit ending in just a few days. Now, you may be thinking that the contractor is to blame and is inadequate, but the reality is is that they weren't given a whole lot of time to prepare for this work because the permit was issued so close to the actual start date. In fact, we've had a number of other construction contractors check out the project and none of them have given any better ideas than what the current contractor is doing. And maybe you're thinking that the Coastal Commission is to blame by instituting too many regulations by making us jump through a lot of hoops during the permitting process. The reality is, though, that this project is freaking difficult, no matter how you slice it. Lucky for us, we have a client that is really committed financially to building this wall, because a project like this isn't cheap. And for what? The wall is designed to last maybe 15, 20 years. All of the prior infill, this wall, which is going to take much longer than expected, and a number of the tieback anchors, is all just for another 15 years. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, is it worth it? I mean, obviously for this guy, it is. He gets another 15 years in his beautiful home. But is any coastal remediation worth it if we, the public, are the ones who have to pay for it? I mean, this is a stretch of 80 feet among 800 miles of bluff on just the California coast. And these 80 feet are causing a lot of smart people some big headaches. Well, you wouldn't be the only one to think that it's probably not worth trying to protect the California coast. I mean, who cares if a few rich people lose their seaside homes? Really, just say screw it and let the ocean consume everything in its path. In places like Pacifica, California, which is just south of San Francisco, 
the 80-foot cliff is receding at such an alarming rate that they literally had to abandon apartment buildings and homes to demolish them before the ocean did so. I linked a couple of interesting articles on this from 2016. Also, as many of my friends like to point out, the Big Sur coastline in California is constantly plagued by rockfalls and landslides that make the beautiful Highway 1 impassable. It's just cheaper and more feasible to roll with the punches than actually fix the cliff in these areas. But in reality, there can be problems with the do-nothing approach too. I mean, people aren't just going to let their homes get destroyed without some sort of legal battle. Most of the time, when something like this happens, it is on the city or county to repossess the property that is subject to falling into the ocean, meaning that the public has to purchase the buildings that can't be saved. Also, it's not like this ocean stops eating away at the cliff. I mean, there are places in California where the ocean is eroding the cliff at a rate upwards of five feet per year without defenses. And sooner rather than later, that will cut past the beautiful seaside homes and into valuable infrastructure and more houses. So right now, my view on this is nuanced. I think there are certainly places that are not worth saving. Rural locations where there isn't too much at stake. But in more urbanized areas, it can be hard to justify going down without a fight. And decisions should be made on a case-by-case basis with engineers, geologists, and other scientists at the forefront to weigh the options. I'm going to be honest. I'm not really sure how to close this discussion. We're going to be faced with some really tough decisions in the coming years concerning this coastal erosion issue. And I'm sure that this podcast that you're listening to right now will not be the last you hear of this. But... Thank you so much for listening. I know this is a bit of a divergence from the rock behind the climb, but I haven't had too much time to climb as of late because, well, you know, this project. But please let me know if you like this episode, and especially if you're curious to hear how we finally get this wall completed, a part of the story that I don't even know yet. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next one. Jazzhammer, out. <laughs>